Hi guys, hope you're well. Uh, I've got a really kind of good guest today. One of the things that I've said in the past is that one of the things I was very keen to do, especially with lockdown, but kind of just with business kind of generally, is that we often see the same people in the newspapers all the time. And whilst they all have great stories to tell, one of the things that I'm always very keen of is to tell the stories of real people who've got real businesses, who've kind of been on the journey. Um, my background is largely to do with business strategy. So what I wanted to do was help uh, kind of unpick some of the, the stories behind the brands uh, you kind of go through the journey and talk people through their careers and that kind of thing uh, and then in particular for my guest today her name is uh, called charlotte uh, charlotte runs a very successful kind of pr company so again i thought it'd be interesting to kind of share some of the the background and the thinking behind what is pr why it's important at the moment and kind of you know her kind of story so charlotte i'm going to bring you in perfect there we go so would you like to say hello to everyone Hi everyone, I'm excited about this. Ah, cool. Um, so would you like to give people a bit of backstory on yourself? Yes. So I um, I run Harvey and Hugo. It's a PR and marketing business. And basically we make our clients' brands lovable and memorable by telling stories, essentially. We've got three main ways of telling stories. So PR, social media, and content marketing. And um, so yeah, we're storytellers. So with, are you, are you from the region? Cause I must have, so we probably first met when I worked at the LEP, so at TBU, or now is the Tees Valley Combined Authority. Yeah, uh, ages ago. was 10, 12-ish years ago. What's, yeah. what's your story? How did you get into doing what you do? So, um, well, my mom and dad, they had a retail business. So this is going back quite a while, but even when I was uh, young, I didn't go to nursery. I just got put in the corner of the office. Um, so as young back as I can remember, I remember counting the coins and counting the money. I mean, my maths is terrible, so I was probably detrimental to their business. Um, but just being immersed in that kind of business atmosphere, hearing conversations that I probably shouldn't have heard, I just loved it. Um, so kind of since then, I think I got this just desire to run a business. I didn't know what in. I did ask my mom and dad, can I join the family business? And it was at a time, even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, retail was starting to struggle then. And they were just like, no, you know, do your own thing. And actually they were against me setting up my own business. Okay. They, they, yeah, they, they, they knew how hard and stressful it was. So, so they were just like, you know, go and find a big company and, and work your way up there. Um, and, you know, that's probably quite the days when I think, oh, that's quite sensible advice, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time I saw it as them thinking I couldn't do it. So I was just like, right, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do it now as well. And I'm going to prove you wrong. And um, I know now that that wasn't what they were thinking, but so, yeah. And then, so I went to uni and I was really into my sport when I was what younger. You I was a swimmer. I did. So I did sports science and management. So okay. it was a dual honors degree sport because I loved it. I was just so interested in the science behind it. And then management, because I thought that if I wanted my own business, I'd probably need management skills. But can I ask uh, both what sports and which uni? So it was, I was a swimmer and a water polo player. So I played water polo for the Great Britain junior team. Um, and I was at Loughborough University. Oh, wow. You must have been very good then. Uh, for anyone that watches that might not be up on uh, UK university sport, basically, because I'm a basketball player. And Loughborough oh, yeah. is the, the very top of where, if you're good at a sport, that's where you go to. And it's generally kind of GB kind of level. Um, 
But generally, it's just from a, a sports kudos kind of university branding. That's, you know, good bragging rights. Oh, okay. thanks for that, Steve. Not many people know that. So I usually just say, oh, just love her. <laughs> no, no. But it, when, because um, I, I still don't know how I ended up doing mechanical engineering. I think I've always, I like solving stuff and just getting involved in solving puzzles. But I think mostly it was kind of just to do with cars. But actually when, you know, you go through, if you, you kind of, I find this funny because I now coach basketball as well. So I, I kind of, um, I have guys coming through that are kind of from 16 to, well, I guess all ages, but in that age between 16 and probably 19, a lot of people, especially if they play at a decent level. So I, I'm part of the kind of Newcastle Eagles wider kind of uh, group, oh, that's you know, a brilliant. lot of them are very good, but there's a point where you have to be exceptional to be able to make a career from it. Um, and it's almost, mm. you know, it, it, I've, I've often discussed this with my wife. It's that there's a, there's a vicious trap in sport between being genuinely world-class and being third. So say if you're the third best UK heptathlete behind Jessica Ennis and Katarina Johnson-Thompson, you might never make the Olympics, but you've still spent your entire life doing it. And you also see this in all sports, but it'll be true in, in kind of uh, Loughborough and swimming and everything. Totally. And yeah, water polo is probably one of the most underfunded sports in, but it's certainly in the UK. Um, and, you know, if... If I was a footballer, certainly a male footballer, you know, I'd have done all right. I could have had a career out of it, but there's, there was no money in water polo. Um, and unfortunately, my career kind of ended a bit because I had have a rubbish immune system. So I just kept getting ill all the time. Okay. So that was that was really gutting. That was kind of like my first career. I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to swim in the Olympics or play water polo. So I, I learned many lessons that are now relevant to business. I sport such as learning how to lose. Yeah, I must say this, this interview is going to take a dramatic sports twist that I didn't expect, but I actually like it because one of one of my future guests, and I haven't actually asked them yet, but I know them pretty well. So it's Paul and Sam Blake that run Newcastle Eagles. So Paul runs the business side of the BBL basketball team. And then Sam runs the community foundation, which is the actual building and they work with 90 odd schools. But Sam used to be a swimmer. And again, Paul was a basketball player, but it's almost, yeah. it's that, the crossovers between uh, determination and lessons that you learn from sport, which are massively applicable to kind of business. And one of the big things that I almost found was that when, so I was in scouts growing up. So Beavers, mm -hmm. Cubs, Scouts, Venture Scouts, and then I stopped when I went to uni. Um, but it was just, um, it's, you, it's learning leadership. And one of the best lessons I almost have ever got told was that I know what it's like to be both the best basketball player on the team and the worst. And basically there's nothing worse if you're the worst player on the team to be overlooked and left out and treated badly. And it's, you know, and then mm. vice versa, when you are the best player on the team, looking out for the other players and bring them through. And I think it's often, there'll be a lot of lessons that I imagine that you learn in swimming and water polo that you bring to business now with your team. Totally. There's so much relevant, you know, more so than anything I learned in academia. You know, I did a, a management degree, but rarely do I apply theories that were drafted up thousands, hundreds of years ago. Whereas, you know, immediately you're in a sporting, in a team situation, you know, like you're saying, how to inspire people, how to motivate people, how to pick someone up when they're down, you know, and vice versa sometimes. And um, again, that determination, that resilience to keep getting back up if you have suffered a defeat or you're injured or you're ill. So yeah, I, I think anyone who's looking to, to get into business, maybe get into sport first or get into sport while you're growing up. See, where this has also been a strange twist is one of my guests for Thursday is a guy called Joe Mafosa, who's a professional boxer. 
Yes. And I must. I went to see Joe in before lockdown. He fought at Newcastle Eagles against my world. And actually, I was sat in front of Martin, who was my last guest. So it's a very kind of small world. But again, I'm going to ask him that because one of the questions I'm going to be asking Joe is actually his story goes all the way from GB boxing all the way through. So he used to train in Sheffield where I went to uni. Um, but then, you know, life after boxing, what does he want to get into? Is it business? That kind of thing. Because I do think there's a lot of crossovers. Yeah. So yeah, Crazy. this took a strange twist, but actually I'm really glad it did because it's, um, I, I, part of the reason why I like to do this again, it's when you learn stuff about people that you just, you didn't know. And again, from, yeah. I guess from a PR branding point of view, the more depth you actually start to build on people over time, you know, you build a relationship there that now I have a very kind of visual memory, but I'll always remember the sports analogy, which is cool. Definitely. So how did you get into PR specifically then? So I, I really enjoyed the marketing module in, at my degree. Um, and so I started looking for jobs in PR and marketing. And yeah, eventually someone decided to take me on and got a job at a small agency in Newcastle, which was wonderful, lovely people, still in touch with them now. And kind of, yeah, just learned stuff from there. I, um, I was there about two years and it was more when I did decide to leave I just, I wanted to do something differently. I didn't necessarily say, oh, I want to do things better. It's just differently. I want to do things my own way. And I had, we were just kind of, we were, we'd had the credit crunch and I kind of had a new business model that I thought would have done well coming into that and coming out of it. No, almost, it, it's because again, it's, we're almost in a similar position now that we were post 2008, 2009, because I actually started my first business in 2008 as well. And yeah. it, before we came on the call, we were saying that part of the reason why I was quite confident to try this whole live streaming thing is because I know a lot about cameras and lighting and setups and different things. Um, and actually you just evolve over time and learn from it and change. And, you know, so again, you know, there'll be a lot of lessons that you imagine learned last time that might be quite relevant kind of moving forward. Definitely, so, definitely. So you, you worked for two years for someone else and then mm -hmm. was it straight from that you decided to set up? Yeah, I, I got a, another little job in the meantime, but it was more just, I don't know, I didn't, I, I knew I wanted to start my business. I was just kind of thinking, oh, what do I do? So I got a, another job that was kind of in sales and working from home a bit. Um, but the more I kind of did that, I was like, no, I definitely want to do something on my own. So, so yeah, then I, I called mom and dad, I was like, can I come back home? Because uh, I'm not going to have much money for a while. And luckily they said yes. So, I, and all I needed was a laptop and a phone, luckily. Yep. Um, and then I, I just got cracking. And it was at a time when social media was just starting to take off, which was another way I wanted to do things differently. I wanted to embrace that for PR. Um, so got tweeting twitter was my friend you know i worked from a little cupboard at my mom and dad's house mm -hmm. and i just was on twitter day in day out building connections uh, increasing followers and um, was on facebook a bit too but you know this is even before facebook business pages started and um, so yeah it just started getting out and about going networking i did anything that i could to raise the the, the profile of the business whether it's networking social media my own pr applying for awards going to events just i just was so driven and just worked so hard all, all for very little reward in the early days how, how long do you feel it kind of took from when you originally kind of went public? So for instance, I still remember the day because it was on social media. I think it was the 21st of October last year that I kind of said, look, I'm going to do my own thing. And it's kind of maybe a month ago, maybe two months ago when I knew 
I was self-sufficient. I could survive. You know, there's always that valley of death between when you mm. launch and when you actually kind of make any money to enough to, you know, balance, stay even. How, how yeah. did that go for you? Well, um, I was very naive. <laughs> I was, you know, in the two years, I did get a grip on PR in terms of what was expected. I, I knew kind of social media. I did loads of extra reading. So I was knowledgeable on doing what I did. But running a business was a whole new game for me. I, I was clueless, in all honesty. Um, it was nothing but my like desire to succeed and hard work that got me through. So I, I probably got an office a bit too soon. I probably hired my first member of staff a bit too soon. So constantly I was putting myself under pressure. You know, I didn't pay myself for probably about a year because I thought, oh, I don't need to. I'll just drive everything back into the business to help it grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eventually I kind of resented that because I was like, hang on, I'm paying all these people, but I'm working 90 hour weeks. So, you know, I I learned that the hard way. You've got to look after yourself first almost to, so you can make sure you're, you're motivated to keep the business going. And, And also you've got to eat. I was lucky that I was living with my mom and dad at the time, but I moved out and I needed to kind of eat and, and live as well. Because <laughs> almost a lot of the people I kind of now interact with, the, in, like the, in the uh, Northeast tech scene, uh, there's a lot of people here who are almost similar to where you were when you started. And I think sometimes yeah. just having an outside person that's been around a bit, but especially from like an industry background, not a tech stroke uh, creative background. I... I'm quite realistic. I'm not pessimistic, but I knew that it would be a struggle. But then likewise, when I speak to people who might not be making as much money as they hoped they were gonna make, especially in kind of something creative, kind of like what we do, um, you know, often it is the kind of the realities of minimizing your costs, uh, but then likewise, it's driving the sales and doing things for your business development and just every day, no matter if anyone likes it, it doesn't just keep going, keep going. It's just, it's gradual momentum. I think is something yeah. that it sounds like you kind of went through that as well. Definitely, you know, and and also, you know, I say I rushed into these things, but it was important for me. I was I was 25 when I set it up and I struggled to win clients because they thought of me as too small, too young, not experienced enough. But things like social media were only as old as kind of my experience was because they'd just launched really. Um, so I kind of played that to my advantage. But yeah, you know, I wanted to kind of get an office. I wanted to go limited soon. I wanted to get staff just to be taken a bit more seriously. So yes, it was harder and it took longer for me to be able to earn a living, but from a reputation, from a brand point of view, which is essentially what we do, I did feel it was important to take those steps. Okay, it's, but this is what I love. It's, it's learning stuff that I didn't know before. Were you always called Harvey and Hugo? Yeah, always. And would you like yeah. to explain to everyone what, what that is? Yes. So it's um, it's named after my two border terriers. Unfortunately, Harvey died a couple of years ago now, but Hugo's still doddering about, bless him. I think he's um, 13 this year. Um, so yeah, and again, I, I, it was memorable, my story, but I did have to shake off being known as the, the dog lady for quite a while. <laughs> as I say, I, I want to be known for my PR, not the dogs. <laughs> but one of the things that I've always liked about your brand, especially is that with there's two sides to it. One, it's the authenticity behind it and it, it rolls through everything you do. So from all of your uh, photography, website, socials, there's always a dog element to it. But I love actually on your website, if you load it up, it's the dog on the keyboard just tapping away. Because yeah. actually I yeah. also know as someone that does all my own kind of stuff, how difficult, do you do your own animation or do you outsource that? Yeah, 
Yeah, we do it and decided to take it in house because it's it's kind of one of the future ways of telling stories. And I also know how difficult it is that, you know, as someone that has a semi-creative kind of job, I appreciate the, the nuance of this. And then actually, again, when, you, when you're able to follow a brand all the way through every single touch point, and then do you want to describe some of your service offerings, but also their, their product names? I want you to yes. tell it, not me. No worries. Um, so one of our one of the reasons I set up was to be more flexible in what we offered. Um, so we really launched quite hard with our payers Hugo services. So that's Hugo, H-U-G-O, um, and they're kind of contract-free services and um, are flexible for for people, more affordable. When I um, when I was working at an agency, probably 11, 12 years ago now, it was all about the retainers before the credit crunch the economy was good you know people had got quite comfortable um and so yeah you tie people in for 12 months and there were no other options we sometimes get clients calling saying can we do this and it'd be like no so i kind of thought well that's that's a good opportunity not only are we entering a recession people want more flexibility even the big businesses but the startups there's people like myself for whom pr is not an option so i was quite passionate about that and you know of course it's harder to try and sell one-off projects yeah. and it's lovely to have retainers and the harvey and hugo side of the business that's about our retained clients and if you are building a brand it does work better to do it on a monthly basis but still, it's better than nothing to do things yeah. pay as you go. It's, it's almost it's um, when you, uh, it's been able to get people into your ecosystem. So I almost, yes. again, one of the things when I knew I was going to set up, I, I, I do a lot, I watch a lot. So I look at what other people do, how it works. So I almost do the same, but for management support. So there's people that mm -hmm. I've gone in and done two, three days, that's it. Almost like pay as you go, but to help them grow and sell their company. And then there's other companies I have the retainers with. Um, but it's, yeah. I, I see, I think it will happen a lot more that as companies have less cash and they're looking to run more lean, I think the companies will outsource more stuff because actually I kind of bet my house on it. Um, but actually I think it, you get so much better, uh, I guess, deliverables to go someone that rarely knows their craft and you pay them a set fee and they'll deliver X. And you often get so much more from that than you have a uh, more junior employee that you can employ full-time that is mm -hmm. learning, but again, in you know tough times, I think it's a very smart kind of business model. And then you've also yeah. got Hugoversity, is that correct? Yes, we do. So uh, Hugo, so basically if, if we lost a client, it was usually because they'd recognized the value of the service and decided to recruit someone in-house okay. to deliver and obviously that does work out more cost effective. Um, but like you were saying before, they don't necessarily have all the, the experience of the collective. However, this was happening. So, I, and sometimes they would say, can you help us find the right person? Or can you do a strategy and then we'll take it in house? And, and obviously you do, because you want to, you want what's best for the client at the yeah. end of the day. Um, and then I thought, well, hang on, maybe we could set up a side of the business around this. And um, so basically Hugoversity was born. It offers training in all of our core services. And what you'd often find in the PR world right now is that you either get traditional people who know kind of how to send out classic press releases, speak to the media, or you get the digital side who you know the SEO side, how to write stories for SEO, for social media content. And it's rare that you get someone with both of those skills together. So we'll either work with traditional PRs 
on how to embrace the digital side and vice versa for some of the younger, usually younger generations coming through. And mm -hmm. um, so it, it kind of works quite well with that. Because uh, with, uh, it's one of my later questions, but I might as well jump to it now. So with a lot, again, the kind of Northeast tech sector, one of the big things that everyone looks for is how do you grow and scale the company? And again, I'm talking to some venture capital firms about some other stuff to do with other kind of companies. Have you ever looked at scalable sides for your own business? Because again, like yeah. online training, have you ever like investigated it? Yeah, I, I'm actually looking at it really seriously now. I, I wanted to do it years ago, but I just didn't have the money. Um, you know, with a, being a startup, no one really took you seriously in terms of investment. So yeah, we're applying for funding. We have been for a while actually and kind of getting systems. We've done some feasibility studies. So online systems, digitizing more of our services, which will help us scale. You know, I feel I'm at that stage now. We've got a, a lifestyle business. Um, I had a baby a year ago. I've been working part-time. Thank you. Um, been working part time and things have been going really, really lovely until obviously a month or two ago. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I'm very ambitious. I, I, I have strong family values as well. You know, I don't want to be suddenly thrown into working 90 hours a week again. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Maybe when, maybe when she's grown up. But yeah, right now I'm still hungry for success. Like I still want to succeed and do more. Do you think that's the sports, sports person in you again? I think so. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, yeah, maybe I just always keep driving myself forward. You know, I, I am, I am happy with what I've achieved so far and, and where I'm at, but yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not satisfied. Because on the kind of scalable options, I think where most people go wrong is that the, they either more junior people coming through who maybe don't have you know, 10, 12, 15 years experience of doing stuff. And actually the, it's the real world to say, actually, would someone buy it? Whatever it is, you kind of have yeah. that, but it's almost then it's the ambition and to actually jump into something which is new and difficult. But actually I think that you have the credibility behind it to then that people would buy into and pay for a set course at a set price, because actually you've got mm -hmm. the story behind it as well on my YouTube feed almost every day. It's guys, and no offense, who are probably 24, 27, who've probably had a few jobs. And I always look at their CV and then they jump straight into business education and they don't necessarily have the craft. So again, for yourselves, I think it's almost a perfect time that you've you've done your 10,000 hours, you've learned your kind of craft and you've built it up. And once mm -hmm. you've almost got the machine that works really well and you know how it works, you can almost distill it and then scale it. Um, you know, so good luck with it, honestly, it'd be good. Thank you. Um, so when you first kind of set out, did you ever set kind of targets and ambitions for where you wanted to get to? Yes. And they were completely unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> can can yeah. I ask what they kind of were? And this is not to take the piss, but it was almost where I think there'll be people who are in the same position you were 10 years ago who might have yeah. just started out and they might be like, I want to do 2 million in the first year. And it's almost yeah. just, uh, just to, uh, to help my target okay. for this year was 18,000 a year, just to break even, pay my bills, that's it. And that was what my realistic target was. Touch some wood, I'm gonna uh, go past that. But you know, I'd love to know just where you aimed for. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 
massively um i'm not great with numbers so i don't often set goals as numbers obviously you just throw the million out there because it's a, a big nice round figure but it was more i said i wanted an office in every major city in the uk wow you um, were big <laughs> i know i know and you know i think i maybe gave myself a couple of years a few years um and you know i, I wanted the the PageGo system digitized. I wanted it to be, you know, geared up for licensing, selling that on. And actually, I was, I did a bit of a clear out of our, um, our systems online and, and files. And I did find some very old business plans. And actually, it's things that I'm doing now. And it, you know, I'd, at the time, I'd have thought, God, if it takes me 11 years to do that, what's even the point? But it, it has and it does. And like you're saying, it's sometimes important to be realistic it's better sometimes to be realistic and achieve a goal rather yeah. than getting demoralized all the time thinking, oh, I'm useless. I haven't achieved that. You know, I've still only got one office, not 20. <laughs> but, but based on that, I think that's almost some, some of the feedback that I've had in the past is that from other people that have set up and done their own thing, many of them on occasion can feel like a bit of a failure because they, they perceive it's easy and they'll have 10 offices when actually, you know, I think sometimes that's why this helps to actually say, look, it took me 11 years and I still have, you know, at this level, but actually, yeah. you know, the journey you go through, it's almost a learning curve for everyone. So I think it's, you know, it's a great kind of lesson to kind of share. So Definitely. when you got your, your first office, you, how big's your team now? Um, well, we've got a couple on furlough at the minute. So there's seven of us. Okay. But the, and is most of your team, and this is just judging from what I think I saw on the website, is it mostly a female team? Yes, it is. And yeah. Is, that, is that a conscious choice? And it, you know, this is, I'm just genuinely kind of uh, fascinated. Oh, I know. It's not a conscious choice. And I hate that it is because people think that I'm some sort of raging feminist and there's nothing wrong if you are a raging feminist. But I but... never thought that. I think it's good. Oh, I, I okay. It was just... Um, I have been it, I part of me feels sorry for the one guy on his own <laughs> if he's still in the business but it's the um anyway it, it is what it is but it was just a conscious choice but the when you kind of you've gone through your career one of the kind of sets of questions I wanted to ask was actually to do with how have you found it as like a, a woman in business because there's a lot of stories that I see in here and I signed up to a, a Google initiative to try and help empower and talk about different things. But as a, as a white man, I'll never know some of the things. And I think sometimes it's just, it's that balance of where I'd love to hear some of the stories that you might have coming through your career. And then I guess it's asking the questions of if you're then looking to kind of share that knowledge and learning with other people. Yeah, always looking to share and learn. Um, but really, I, I haven't any negative things to say about being a woman in business. I'm pretty sure it's the same as being a man in business. If anything, it's worked positively to my favor. I've had more opportunities to sit on boards and be part of panels just so they can tick that young, young girl box. Um, so um, the, the one thing I would say, though, is there is a difference being a mother compared okay. to a father in business um which obviously i've learned recently so it, it's a biological fact i would love to change it but unfortunately men can't have babies <laughs> and we can argue about that and fight it for, for justice as long as we want but it's not going to change and has my business suffered from being pregnant having a baby i wouldn't say it's suffered but it certainly hasn't grown in that period 
turnovers remained constant, which is brilliant. Mm. But, you know, I had a terrible pregnancy. I was sick most days and I still was able to get into work, but I wasn't as productive as I was before I was pregnant. And then obviously when you have a baby, it, it takes a little bit of time to, to nurture and look after them and you have a bit of time out and rightly so. And um, so, and people come back to work at different times, different times to suit them. But equally, I, ha I couldn't book back-to-back -back meetings when I was back because I had to pump breast milk in my car, in the yeah. car park. So it's things like that. So that can have a little bit of an impact short term. Um, but yeah, there's, I would love uh, the workplaces to be more fair and, and equal in terms of the boardrooms and all that debate. But sometimes it's just physiologically impossible if you want children. It, it, it's, but this is why this is so interesting because I wouldn't know that. And again, me and Lisa don't have kids, so it's almost the. I'm one of the. I think the reason why we're still alive and we're not killing each other is because I imagine if you were locked in a house with six kids running around, it'd be an absolute nightmare. But I guess from a, a different point of view, your being a mother and having the family, I imagine, will help you develop even more empathy. That as you look into creating something special, you know, you, you're. I think you know. It's it's a one you'll be able to be a wonderful example to a lot of people on how it can be done, and you know, kind of sharing your your story, I think will help a lot of people that might otherwise kind of struggle. So that's cool. Yeah, um, that happens. That's brilliant. <laughs> cool. So I'm just looking at my other questions. I've done the female team one. Uh, I am actually really happy that you said that you've never necessarily felt any disadvantage from being a woman in business. Because it's no. so my background, mostly offshore energy, engineering, manufacturing is mostly men. And it's funny mm. that the um, it's not always the nicest place to work. And I think often you get very different dynamics when you have different um, ratios of men and women in a workplace. Um, yeah. But I guess it kind of it is what it is. Um, I've got a question through PR. And mm -hmm. this is almost the what do you think that your average customer okay so not your customer but your average person in industry in the northeast and this is probably your kind of rough and ready businesses and which is many what do you think they think pr is and what would you like them to think they think it's advertising usually um not not on the whole but you know we do sometimes as you say maybe rough and ready, quite industrial. It, it, they think that, you know, you, you'll write something, it will go in word for word. They can put what they want in the press release and they can make it quite sales driven. It will go in the paper word for word and they will get a direct stream of revenue from that. You know, equally, you can do a tweet and instantly it'll win a million pound contract just from one tweet alone. And, and social media is easy because all you do is just tweet away or, or Instagram or take a photo and it's really simple and anyone can do it. So I think sometimes people don't understand the skill that goes into it and yeah, how there is a, a strategy behind it. it um, it's that balance, isn't it, for me, of where it's balancing the creative with the, the churn and the business and the engine to keep it going. Does that make sense? Because yeah, one of the things yeah. I was going to kind of bounce off you is that with a lot of the, some of the companies where I've worked in the past haven't always valued marketing, PR, etc. And it was mm -hmm. often a challenge to even do anything, get support to do anything. Part of the reason why I learned to do all my own graphic design, everyone else, because I had to. 
Um, yeah. But actually, for me, especially in more challenging times, which we might have over the next kind of two years yeah. or so, almost yeah. I'm, I'm part of something called the Marketer Meetup, which is a, a guy called Joe Glover runs it. And one of the things that we spoke about when I interviewed Joe was almost he feels that marketers don't do a great job for marketing marketing, if that makes sense. And one yeah. of the things that was almost going through my mind, I'd love to get your ideas about PR, is that I would actually approach your rough and ready business owner actually just with revenue generation and actually talk, say, look, I think I can help you make more money. This is how we would do it. Can we start a relationship? And it was almost mm -hmm. as part of the, I can see almost the evolution of the great service and stuff that you do. Almost it's mm -hmm. how when you, I imagine if you knocked on the door of some business owners and said, look, we're a PR agency, not everyone might answer the call. If you mm -hmm. did exactly the same approach and said, actually, look, I can make you, I believe we can help you over time, make more money. Can we have a chat? I guarantee that they would talk to you because the, the other thing which I've looked at, which again could be a kind of a little tip is that with some of the companies I work with, it's not that they have bad habits, but they often don't do some of the easy wins to revenue lead generation, like going back to past customers. And part of the reason they do that is a lot of their staff aren't as maybe articulate or friendly as you know the people that you have. Mm -hmm. And actually just being able to kind of say to, almost it's the extra development of the service, I think almost would help attract that extra segment of customers that might not currently use you. Yeah, I mean, you've got a good point there. You know, there's often a lot of people that don't understand. We did some research a while ago in terms of what people were searching in Google to find us. And a lot of it was business promotion. It was growing business sales as well. And, you know, yes, it's hard, but it's really important for us to manage expectations. I don't ever like to lead in like we can help you make more money because even though that might appeal to them, it doesn't sit well with my values because at the end of the day, they have to have so many other things right in their business for that end result. Yep. Where yep. we have control is that we can make their brand more attractive. We can generate awareness. Um, but whereas we can't control their sales system, their grumpy receptionist, which could stop making them making more money or their product might ultimately be rubbish. Um, but so if anything, Just as we've grown on that point is that one of my last guests was a guy called Jake, who's actually, he's a dentist that I went to uni with. One of the things oh. that they do actually is that they go through the customer journey from when actually a patient comes in, walks through the door, what's the smell actually kind of thinking this through almost an independent audit of company X. We went in and spoke to a receptionist four out of 10, yeah. but you know, there's a lot of ways that companies can be disruptive to add new revenue streams and new service offers which are just plays off what they currently do. But no, I yeah. completely respect uh, the brand point, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad you've, this has gone on our website before our call, but we've actually just launched our brand audit campaign, which we've uh, been This wasn't planned, about. by the way. It really wasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we've just launched that now where we review with certain things externally and we're doing that free, you know, while, oh, while, okay. lockdown, while businesses have the chance to sometimes sit back and review things. I think free is a very good option for that because some companies charge for that kind of thing. And there's always the, the element, if you're the buyer, you know, you don't want to pay for someone to sell to you. So actually, you know, they do it. But again, because you have the credibility behind everything that you do, I think that's a very smart kind of business move. I think, again, part mm -hmm. of the challenge you might have is that uh, there's a famous quote that says, you don't know what you don't know. And it's always that balance where, mm -hmm. I guess it's the independence to say to a business owner, look, you asked us to come and do an audit. This is what we found. 
I think you could tweak this, this, and this to make a big impact. Because again, often websites get overlooked in copy and different things. So no, that, that sounds really kind of really good. Um, yeah. So in terms of kind of um, your kind of past history and almost the career that you've kind of been on, can I ask what's the kind of best piece of advice you've ever had? Yeah, it's quite cliche. I'm sure you've heard it all before, but there's no substitute for hard work. And there just isn't. Um, you can have all the skills and all the reading and think all those positive thoughts, but you've actually got to take some action and do something about it. And you know, even even when business has been quite good, I still I still get up early. I'm still motivated to start. I'm still thinking about how can I grow? What what new things can I offer? What can I learn? And that all inv involves time and hard work. Oh, cool. Is there anything that you I guess, I guess we've talked about it. Is obviously that having the pipeline that you want to achieve, which might be uh, away from your core business, or is uh, everything kind of going in the right direction? I guess. Well, it was <laughs> <laughs> um, until a couple of months ago, but yeah, I, I want to get the digital side of things. I mean, that's still part of the core business, but I want to get that up and running. I always think of I've got a, a mind that just continually generates um, sometimes totally impossible ideas and. I, you know, if I was work, this is one thing where my mom and dad were right. Because if I was working for a massive company that had loads of money, the things that we could have done would be amazing. But yeah, they just kind of have to percolate a little bit in my mind. There's loads of things I'd love to do. Um, you know, I loved, I did obviously with the sports science side, I quite enjoy the leisure sector. Um, and having just had a baby, I go to a baby group and I think, oh my goodness, I could set up a business doing that. I could set up a business doing that. Um, but I think also it's important not to get distracted. You know, we're we're in a, a very tough situation business-wise. I don't think it's going to be easy for the next year, two years, who knows, even longer. And there's a danger that you can lose focus. I'm going to have to put everything I have into fighting for every shred of business, I think, over the next few years. And I'm willing to do that, but I can't be distracted by too many other things. Yeah. The, uh, no, I, was, I completely agree. And I think just having the, the conscious awareness on some of the scalable side, it's, it's on things like that that take a lot of effort to set up. But obviously by their yeah. very nature, once you've kind of done it, touch some wood, it kind of gets easier. And okay. one of the other questions I was tend to ask is actually, if you were to give advice to your younger self and you can pick whichever age you kind of want, uh, what would that be? It would be to believe in myself. I I was incredibly shy growing up and I still can be. Um, it's funny, like sometimes for things like this, I put my business hat on and I'm Charlotte from Harvey and Hugo and it's a different persona. When I'm at a family wedding, I'm, I'm just Charlotte and I, I am really shy. And so I think obviously having that confidence in yourself, the belief that you can do things, it would have helped me certainly so much. I wish I knew what I knew now for my sporting career. I would have been so much better. I was physiologically very strong, but mentally I was so weak. I had no self-belief. And, you know, now it's, it's coming, like as you develop and you prove yourself, it's, it's nice. Um, and also not to worry so much. I'm trying to listen to my advice now and don't worry, take it day by day mm. because I was, I used to worry so much. I think it's a lot of people suffer from what well, imposter syndrome where it's almost the more experience you get, the more you second guess yourself, which I think is actually a, you know, a positive, but actually, you know, it's it, a lot of people go through that. And it's just, you know, 
I guess it's almost having the confidence and having friends around you that, you know, will keep you up when you're kind of down. But as someone that's kind of seen you around at different events for the past kind of 10 years, I would have never have guessed that you were shy, you know, by any means. And again, but it was almost the, you have a very good brand which goes all the way through your public person and persona all the way through. So I think you've done an exceptional job with that. And, you know, definitely for the future, I, I wish you all the best and I'll kind of follow your channels and see kind of what happens. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug or talk about before we finish? Yeah, um, just on that subject of brand, thank you so much for saying that. It means a lot because, again, you just you, you do what you do and you think you think sometimes I'm doing it right. But if we can't build our own brand, how can our customers expect us to build theirs? Um, so that's why we have to walk the talk. But in terms of a, a quick plug, I would love it if you if I could share about our pay-as-you-go PR services right now, because we're actually giving 20% of any new pay-as-you-go work, whether that's pay-as-you-go press releases, social media, any uh, animation work, 20% will go to a charity of your choice. Um, just because obviously charities are having a harder time than businesses right now. And I know the support, but it won't help them all. Um, and I know we're only giving 20%, but it still hopefully will help them a little bit. But it's, it's a nice, again, win-win that most people want to help if they can. And for them, it's mm -hmm. a business purchase that if it was you or someone else that isn't doing anything like that, it's, a, it's a, an extra kind of bit. Well, I've really enjoyed our kind of chat today. I've learned a lot. I didn't know a lot of the sports stuff, which I've really enjoyed. I think Loughborough, you should be proud of it. Because for anyone that actually knows their sports, and especially university sport, Loughborough is top of the tree. So you should brag about that one um you know definitely i'll keep watching everything you do and i've always really appreciated all of the the content and the detail you put in from the uh page page hugo is still one of my favorite things uh and then just everything you're kind of doing and then hopefully i will see you around when we're allowed back out again at some of the kind of networking events stuff on seaside stuff in the northeast and um yeah please kind of stay in touch Oh, I will. Thanks, Steve. I've really appreciated this. No worries. And, um, you know, stay safe and, uh, you know, good luck with everything. You too. Take care. Right, Bye. Cheers, Bye. Yeah.